Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading this morning in verse 8. I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes for us here, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You may be seated. Many of you will remember that in November, in fact, November 18th of 1978, there happened an event in South America that has since become known as the Jonestown Massacre. On that day in the South American country of Guyana, about 900, a little over 900 members of a cult known as uh, the People's Temple died in a mass suicide and murder. This cult, this town, was led by a leader named Jim Jones, who was a charismatic figure who had started this movement of people, and they wanted to have a community. They wanted to have a community where they were together. They wanted to have a community where they could share their values with one another. And after things became difficult for them to do so here in the United States. They bought land and moved to Guyana in South America where they could start their town and express their beliefs of this community. But after on this particular time, there in November, when a U.S. congressman came to see what was going on there and to ultimately lead some of the people out, he, the congressman, was shot and killed and Jim Jones led more than 900 people to, whether by force or by will, to drink uh, the Kool-Aid, if you will, where we get this expression from, to drink this, this flavor aid that was laced with chemicals that would kill them, and they died. And the officials there in that country came upon this site the next day and found just this horrific, horrific sight of more than 900 people laying there dead many of them children that had been forcibly given this by their parents. Now we wonder, as we look at this, why would a group of people do this? Why would people engage in this type of behavior? We look at ourselves and we think, surely we would never do anything like this. But, but why? Why would this happen? Well, what these people expressed in their gathering together to form this town, and again, a thousand of them moving to 
South America to be a part of this Jonestown was the human desire for community, the human desire for fellowship with one another. The tragedy is that Jim Jones sold them something that was not true, and he set himself up, as cult leaders have throughout history, as in a really dictatorial role, and he forcibly made them do things that they didn't want to do, but they did it because they, they wanted to be a part of this group. They wanted to be part of something that was greater than themselves. And we see that in our own culture, people who sacrifice their beliefs and they sacrifice what they think or know to be true so that they can be part of some greater, larger community. When we come to Romans chapter 1 and beginning in verse 8, what we see in these verses from 8 to 15 is Paul's longing to be part of community. Paul longs, his desire is to be a part of the community of faith of the Church of Rome. He has heard about them from afar. He has heard about their deeds. He has heard about what they have done. He has now written to them this letter. But his ultimate desire is to be with them in community, to experience their church, to experience what it is like with them, to experience what they are doing, how they are doing life together, how they are proclaiming the gospel together. That's his desire. And we see that in these verses. We, we see this desire poured out to them about his longing to be there with them. But what he does in proclaiming this longing to be with them is he shows us what Christian community should look like. In fact, I would argue what Christian community must look like. Because Paul has experienced this throughout his Christian walk. He has experienced the love of the fellowship of fellow Christians. And so his desire is that he would be with them so that they together can experience this Christian community. He knows that by visiting them, there'll be mutual benefit. You know, if we're looking at this and we, we were just simply thinking about what we know about Paul, we would assume that all the benefit would be for the Roman church. That it would be of great benefit to them if the Apostle Paul were to show up and, and spend some time with them and, and teach them and give them some direction and proclaim the gospel among them, as he says in verse 15, that he desires to do. But he says it's for all of our benefits that I show up. It's for my benefit that I show up. Why? Because he knew then that he could be part of this Christian community. And so today I want us to see in these few verses that we're looking at six marks of a community of faith. Six marks, six characteristics, if you like, of a community of faith. The first we see there in verse 8, a community of faith is marked by Christians who are thankful for one another. A community of faith is marked by Christians who are thankful for one another. First, in verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Apparently, it was well known the faith of the church of Rome. And if you're going to be a Christian in the city of Rome, you had to be a person of great faith. There was none of this mediocre Christianity in Rome. Being a Christian in Rome at that time was a serious endeavor. It most definitely meant as they moved forward that you would likely face prison or death for your faith. Because the Romans did not like the Christians. 
Because the Romans enjoyed their pagan worship. The Romans enjoyed their worship of their emperor. And those are things that Christians simply cannot do. It's simply not part of our theological beliefs that we would worship a human being on earth, that we would worship a king or an emperor or a president. It's simply not something that we can do. Our Savior is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and it is who Him we worship and Him alone. And so it was very offensive to the Romans. In fact, sometimes because of their, their understanding of, of God and Him the way He was, many Romans understood Christians to be atheists. Because you know, you, you've got a, there's this man that you worship, but what about your gods? Don't you have many like we do? And so he commends their faith. He is thankful for them because their faith is known throughout the earth because they live in this prominent city, the greatest city on earth at the time, the most prominent place on earth. And that is where God has called them to. That is where they live. And news of their faith has spread out throughout the entire earth. And so he says, first, before we get into any of the rest of this, first, I'm thankful for you. If we want to have genuine Christian community, we have to be thankful for one another. We have to be thankful to God that He has called us together. If you are a part of this church, if you're a member of this church, or maybe you're coming all the time, you've never joined, and we need to work on that. God has called us here. And I understand that we live in a time and we live in a uh, community, and I say community by, we live in the Bible Belt where people just go and they do their church thing and, and if they don't like it, they go somewhere else. Yeah, that's, that's not in the Bible, in case you're wondering. God has called us together as a community of faith. And He has done so calling us to be thankful for one another. So even the person that sits far away from you in the sanctuary because you don't really like each other, you need to fix that. You need to get over it. And you need to be thankful for one another. Here's Paul. He's not even a part of their church. He's never been there. His desire is to go and visit and be with them. And he is thankful for them. And we, as Christians, we need to be thankful for one another. We so often are jealous of each other. We have no problem putting down each other. We have no problem gossiping about each other. But none of those are the characteristics that you find here. Matter of fact, I know there are five more points, but, but it's none of those either. Like it's not point six is, you know, a, a community of faith is made up of Christians who gossip about one another. No, there's another G word in verse 15, and that's probably going to be involved in the sixth point if you want a little foreshadowing. But it's not gossip, it's gospel. And there's a world of difference. But think about this in your mind this morning. Are you thankful for the other people that God has called together as our community of faith? We can be thankful, let's be thankful for who God has called other places and God has placed in other communities of faith. I think about my friends in El Salvador and I'm so thankful that God has called them to the various churches that they serve and those pastors that I've got to minister with and to and teach and we have this ongoing relationship where we're frequently talking with one another. I'm thankful for them. But let's start here. 
Are we thankful for one another? And how God has called us together. People who are different. People who have different skills. People who have different gifts. People who have different outlooks on life. People who are, are doing different things in life. God has called us together as a community of faith and told us to be thankful for one another. If you're not, like if you somehow believe that, that this is a bunch of individuals instead of a community of faith, you, you need to have a better biblical understanding of that. Because we are not a bunch of individuals gathered to worship. We are a community of faith known as the First Baptist Church of Eichard. And we need to be thankful for one another. Because Paul was thankful because he heard about their faith. It was known about throughout the world. And for that he was thankful. How great would it be to know that our faith was known throughout the world? And yet, in some ways, in some ways it, it is, right? Like, there are these Salvadorian people this morning who are gathering for their worship, and, and, and they know about First Baptist Iker. And, and people in, in Asia, people in Europe, there's a church in... Pennsylvania that will gather this morning that knows about our faith and coming and ministering with them. There are people in Kentucky who we have been able to go and, and minister to and they've, they've heard of our faith. Should we not be thankful for one another that God has allowed us to do so much? There are countless others, thousands, maybe millions, who do not know our name, but your faithfulness has made it possible for them to hear the gospel. Isn't that something we should be thankful for? That's the first mark of Christian community. The second, verses 9 and 10. A community of faith is marked by Christians who pray for one another. A community of faith is marked by Christians who pray for one another. Verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says, without ceasing, I pray for you. Without ceasing, I pray that God will allow me at, at last, after all these attempts, at last, I will succeed in coming to visit you. His desire is to be with them. He wants to be engaged in their community of faith. And so what does he do? He prays without ceasing for them and that he may come and be with them. He doesn't know these people. He's never laid eyes on them. He's never visited the church. If you look at the maps that you can often find in the back of your Bible about Paul's missionary journeys, you know that he, he goes up there through uh, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. He goes through what is now modern-day uh, Syria and into Turkey, and a lot of his work was in what is now, again today, modern-day Turkey. But his goal was to, to move west. In fact, scholars believe that he's writing this. His hope is that he can go to Rome and from Rome then begin to launch out his missionary journeys 
further west into what now we would know as Spain and Portugal and France. That's his goal, is to, to, to continue that way. Why? Because that's the world of that day, and he wants to move there through the Roman Empire. Remember, Paul is a Roman citizen, so he can move freely. He can move without a lot of hang-ups as he moves through the Roman Empire. He wants to move west, proclaiming the gospel, and that means he wants to go to Rome, and that to become kind of a base of operation. And so what does he do? He prays. He prays for them. He prays without ceasing for them. Friends, a community of faith, if that's what you want, and I know that's what you want because that's what human beings want. Human beings want community. If you look at the statistics, it talks about people from my generation, people in their 20s and 30s, and and this desire that they have for authentic community. Guess what I believe? That whether you're 80 this morning or whether you're 18, you you desire community. Even if you're an introvert like I am, a person who doesn't like crowds and things like that, you you still want community, even if it's just with one other person. Even if you're more of a a one person at a time, one-on-one mentoring, discipleship type thing, even if that's you instead of big crowds, that's fine. You still want community because that's how we were made. If we go back to the beginning, if we go back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, what do we find about the Trinity of God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In Genesis, I'm not talking about John 1, I'm talking about Genesis 1. What do we find? God in community with himself. He says, let us make man in our image. God has this relationship, an eternal relationship with himself, where he Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in community together. And so when He makes us in His image, He makes us desirous of community. That's what we want. So I know that's what you want, because it's how you were made. And friends, if you don't find it in a community of faith, you will find it in a community of sinners. You will find it in the community of the world. You'll find it in things that do not save and cannot last. But if you want to be in a community of faith, it's marked by praying for one another. When's the last time you prayed unprovoked for others in our community of faith? I'm not talking about when we get the message on Facebook that someone's been sick or someone's been in the hospital or you come to prayer meeting and you, and you go through the list. Those things are, are wonderful and powerful and that's why we have them. But when's the last time you unprovoked prayed for others in our community of faith. I don't do it like I should. I imagine you, many of you could testify to the same thing. You don't do that like you should. But friends, that is a great mark of our community. If we pray for each other, if we are thankful for one another, doesn't that solve some of the problems we sometimes think we have? Do you get angry at someone who you're praying for? Do you gossip about someone you're thankful for and praying for that's not likely to happen is it we're thankful for one another we pray for one another there's a third mark as we go into verse 11 a community of faith is marked by christians who build up one another a community of faith is marked by christians who build up one another Another. Look what he says in verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen 
you. These next two, this one, the third one, and the fourth one are, are very similar, and I want to, to help for, so we can understand the distinction. This is about building one another up. This is about using the gifts that God has given you to build each other up. So Paul says, I want to come to Rome so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. If you look at this, it could be some spiritual gift, some big spiritual gift. I want to impart my gift of, of speaking in tongues to you, or I want to impart my gift of healing to you, or, or something like that. But, but it also very likely is just more general. He just wants to use the gifts that God has given him to help them. He wants to use the gifts that God has given him. And Paul had many gifts. Paul was gifted in many areas. He's obviously a gifted writer. He is gifted in preaching. He is gifted in evangelizing. He is gifted in missionary work. He wants to come and use his gifts for their benefit. Friends, do you look at the gifts that God has given you as gifts that are for the benefit of our community of faith? They're gifts that are for the benefit of everyone. So when, when I look at our church and I see times, and these don't happen often, but occasionally they do, where we don't have someone to fill a spot of great need that we have. You know what that tells me? It tells me that someone's probably not using their gift the way they should. Because I have enough faith to believe that God's going to cover what we need here. That he's going to cover the things that we need. He's going to cover uh, everything that we need to have done. And if he doesn't, that means we didn't need to do it. But do you see your giftedness in that light? That God has gifted you for the sake of his community of faith. For the sake of his church. Paul wants to go to them so that he can impart the gifts that God has given him to them. Do you understand that role for yourself in our community of faith? That if God has gifted you in some area, He has gifted you to use that gift for the benefit of His church. And I, I'm not even talking here, we're not doing a spiritual gift study and trying to do an inventory of where you're at. None of that. It's all pointless. You know what you're good at. You know what you're supposed to be doing. It's that simple. I mean, it really is. It doesn't, you don't need a special invitation. You know, we handed out those interest and in serving forms today. Friends, we should not even need to do that. We do it because it's in our Constitution. We should have people beating down the doors to serve. I mean, this just should be how it is. Because we've been gifted to do that very thing. We've not been gifted to sit. There is no special spiritual gift of sitting. If there was, we'd all vie for it, and the sign-up sheet would be done very quickly, and we could still only pick the top two or three, so you still wouldn't probably get it anyway. But I'm not aware of that spiritual gift anywhere in the Bible. But there are many gifts of service. There's gifts of doing there's gifts of work, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's thankless. 
But Paul says, I want to use my gifts for your benefit. And so a community of faith is marked by Christians who build one another up. And they do that by using their giftedness. Friends, it builds me up to see you serve. When we go places, or even here, when I see you serve, that is a great encouragement to me, even if it has nothing to do with me. When we went last month to the Shelby Mission Camp, and I watched our teenagers, and we worked them like dogs. I mean, trust me. This was, no, this was no vacation mission trip. I mean, some of these children, they have aches and pains in their body when they simply hear the term Shelby Mission Camp. Some of them may have traumatic things that require counseling after the work that we put them through. But it encouraged me to see them working. It encouraged me to see them loving on people who they did not know. People who could give them nothing in return. Frankly, and, and if you've been on many of these trips, you understand that sometimes you are doing work for people who are not thankful for what you're doing. But that's not why we do it. We do it because God has blessed us tremendously. He has gifted us for service. And so we serve using the gifts that we have to build one another up. So when we see God doing great things among other people in our church and we see them serving and we see them working for the kingdom, for me, that builds me up. When I hear stories of members of our church helping other members, again, unprovoked, unannounced, to receive no credit or glory, that builds me up. And that's got to be a mark of our community of faith because that's why God has gifted us. That's why he has blessed us. Someone mentioned to me recently, actually several people mentioned to me recently, they didn't understand how we had any money to do anything as a church. Like we, we do stuff and, and how do we do it? We, we're not a big church. We don't have a lot of people. None of you, to my knowledge, are millionaires. And if you are, we have other projects that I will discuss with you after church if you'd like to admit that publicly. It's because people have just been faithful. People have used how God has blessed them, financially and otherwise, to do things for his kingdom. And friends, we've spent a lot of money on our building, and we've done so without cutting one dime to missions. In fact, giving more to missions. How have we done that? It's because people have simply been faithful. And as long as you continue to be faithful, God will continue to be faithful. And this is not prosperity mumbo-jumbo because you know I hate that deep down in my soul. But friends, if we're not faithful, God has no obligation to be faithful to us. But when we are faithful, He is faithful however that looks. It may mean that next year at this time we're still being faithful and we've got to tighten our belts on our budget because God's got other plans for that money. That's fine. As long as we remain faithful. The fourth thing, and this is similar. In fact, I wasn't sure about making them two separate points, but I think they are distinct. The fourth thing, a community of faith is marked by Christians who encourage one another. Marked by Christians who encourage one another. Look in verse 12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
Listen, building each other up is often very encouraging. That's why I think these two are very similar. But I want you to understand that you do not need to have any type of gift of encouragement to encourage one another. I know, because if I do one of those spiritual gift inventories, which I don't put any faith in at all, encouragement is probably not very high on my list. Many of you know that. Some of you wish it was higher on my list, and I'm sorry that it's not. It's just not my thing. But that doesn't mean that I can't encourage you. Because God has saved me. He saved me from my sin, and that means that by nature, I am now an encourager because at a minimum, I can point to the fact that God has saved me from my sin, and if you're in your sin, that should be an encouragement to you. Friends, Paul understands that going to Rome and spending time with these Roman Christians will be an encouragement both to him and to them. Friends, my greatest example of this is any time I travel overseas, especially when I go spend time with my friends in El Salvador. You want to be encouraged? Like, like the whole goal of the mission trip is to go, and often it's for me to encourage churches and to teach uh, pastors. But, but John knows this. I see him smiling even though I don't have my glasses on. We get encouraged, right? We, we get the encouragement. Because we go into these churches where they're gathered on a Monday night or a Tuesday night and there'll be dozens of them gathered together and they will be singing their hearts out, praising God. And you know that they go back to nothing. You know that they live in a country where minimum wage is $250 a month. Not a week, a month. Where most of the pastors that I meet do not make anywhere close to minimum wage. Many of them live on $100 or $150 a month. But they are there gathered praising God for all that He has done for them. Friends, that is encouraging. We live in a world that is constantly tearing us down. I don't mean just us as Christians, I mean in general. You look at over the last week, a police officer in Shelby was shot and killed. Yesterday, an officer with the Rutherford County Police Department was, was shot and wounded. Luckily, going to be okay. Friends, those are two counties that border ours. That's why I give that as an example. It's not that far away. We see violence. We have nonstop politics on television, which couldn't be anything but discouraging. Shouldn't we as Christians commit ourselves to encouraging one another? Because, because most of our fellow Christians, when they go to school tomorrow, they're not going to be encouraged. When they go to work tomorrow, they're not going to be encouraged. When they go to the doctor next time, they're probably not going to be encouraged. They're going to have to face disappointment constantly from the world. We're bombarded with it to break us down. Should we not commit ourselves to encouraging one another? To lifting one another up in prayer, but also commit ourselves to encouraging one another face to face. Paul realizes that when he goes, even though he's the apostle, he's the great writer of Scripture, he is going and writing this letter to them. He is obviously in a high position over them. He is the apostle of Christ. But he understands that when he arrives in Rome, they will both be encouraged. Because he will get to see this faith 
that He's already said has been proclaimed in all the world. He'll get to see it with His own eyes and be encouraged by that. A community of faith is marked by Christians who encourage one another. We must do that consistently. We must do that constantly. Friends, it is easy to get discouraged. I would be the first to tell you that on a day-by-day basis, day in and day out, I can become encouraged in one moment and discouraged in the other. I can become very excited about what God is doing in the next moment, just lamenting the struggles. The struggles I see in our church, the struggles that some of you are having, they just, they burden me. How good it is when we can encourage one another and remind each other that God is in control, that He is sovereign over all. Friends, to me, that's the greatest encouragement. To know that He has this. Whatever it is, whatever difficulty we're struggling with, God has the solution. He has the answer. He has seen it. He is there. He is preparing the way for the ultimate resolution of us being with Him forever. Let's be encouraged by that, but intentionally encourage one another. The fifth thing, the fifth mark, if you will, community of faith is marked by Christians who evangelize with one another. A community of faith is marked by Christians who evangelize with one another. Look what he says in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. His goal is to go and reach people for Christ. He wants to go and work with them to strengthen their ability to win people to Christ. He wants to go and personally win people to Jesus. This is one of those things like encouragement that is for their mutual gain, correct? If people in this community, people in Rome, come to faith in Christ, it builds up the church. So it builds Paul up and encourages him. We know from plenty of his writings, he's not going to take any glory for this. He's not going to want to receive any honor for winning people to Jesus. But his goal is that people would be saved, which is an encouragement to him, and that the church would be built up through people being saved, which is an encouragement to the church. Friends, one of the marks, one of the important marks, one of the marks that we so often miss of a community of faith is that we evangelize with one another. That we, through our efforts, efforts are telling other people how to have a relationship with God through Christ. Whether it is through some event that we do, some class that we offer, some program which at this time we don't offer. We need to evangelize people. Friends, if you notice these first five there, I'm sorry, the first four there are things that we do together internally. They're they're not things that involve people outside of 
the community of faith, whether it be the larger community of faith of Christians or our own community of faith here at this church. There are things that, that involve us. We, us taking care of each other. Us looking after each other. You know, sometimes churches get a bad rap for that, that they're too internally focused. Well, you can be too externally focused. If I can just be very candid with you. You can be focused always on people outside and never care for the people inside the church, never disciple them, never grow them, never lead them to a deeper understanding of the gospel. You can do that, and you end up with very shallow churches that often fall apart very easily. But you can be too internally focused. You can focus only on yourself. You can focus only on what you're doing. The first two churches that I ministered in were very inwardly focused. It was all about them. One of them was just biding time until the church died out. And they would do whatever they could do to keep the doors open while still just focusing on them. The second church just didn't care about anybody. They didn't care about anyone but themselves. All their money was spent on themselves. All their events were planned for themselves. All their strategizing, everything was focused on them. They wanted the preaching to be about them and only them. Luckily, I was the youth minister, so I didn't have to take all the brunt of that, but it was all about them. Friends, Paul's clear here that that when he comes, he's going to come to encourage them. He's going to come to build them up. But they're also going to do the work of winning people to Jesus. They're going to do the work of going out and sharing the gospel. They're going to go out and do the work of seeing people come to faith in Christ. And they're going to do so together. Friends, we need to be focused on that. When you go out, into the world to do whatever it is that God has called you to do as your vocation. It's got to be about winning people to Jesus. It's got to be about pointing people toward Christ. Whatever job you have, there's a way in which you can do your job, you can live your life, you can be a student, you can go through your career, whatever it is, where you are pointing people toward Jesus. We must evangelize together. We must evangelize with one another. We need to be able to gather on our Sunday morning and our Wednesday morning, I mean our Sunday morning and our Sunday night and our Wednesday night and celebrate together how God has worked in people coming to know Christ. Paul's intention is to do that. And friends, if we do not have that, we are then not a full community of faith. We could have the others and miss this one and not be a community of faith. I say community of faith very intentionally here, and I should have mentioned this from the beginning. There are a lot of places around us that call themselves churches. And unfortunately, that, that word has been distorted. There's so many words that we used to could use, and now when we use them, they have so many different meanings. Church is a biblical word. Ekklesia in the Greek 
and we're going to continue to use it. But I say community of faith here because I want you to understand that, that you can put church on the sign, you can put church in the bulletin, and not have these things, and you're not really a church. Like, if you don't do these things, you're not really a church. Those first two places where I was at in ministry are really not churches. At least they weren't then. They were country clubs, social gatherings. And those all have their places in our society and people enjoy them and that's fine, but they weren't churches. A community of faith is marked by Christians who evangelize with one another. And that's one of the important marks of determining whether or not a church is a church. And the sixth one in verse 15. A community of faith is marked by Christians who preach the gospel to one another. He says in verse 15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, that may seem like an odd statement to make, correct? He is writing to the church, and this was not a time in history where you had a bunch of fake church members, fake Christians. We have plenty of that now. You could write to that and you would understand, you could write that now and you would understand why someone would say, I want to preach the gospel to people in the church because there's so many people in the church now who are lost. But this wasn't the case then. You didn't go to church to be seen. You didn't go to church for some social benefit. You went to church under risk of your own life, so you didn't do it without having a good reason. Namely, you had been saved by Christ. So why does he say that in verse 15? That he wants to come, that he is eager to preach the gospel to them who are in Rome. It's because the gospel must be preached to both Christians and non-Christians. The gospel must be preached to both Christians and non-Christians. In our Christian worldview group, we have been seeing over the last, the whole summer, how the gospel, we frame everything by the gospel how the gospel is our direction for everything. It's our direction to understand life around us. We must do so by the gospel. The news that, that God has created the world, that human beings have fallen into sin, that God has offered grace and forgiveness through Christ, and that God is bringing back about the consummation of the world and leading us into an eternity with Him. It's very basic. But we as Christians are called... Paul says, I'm, going to, I'm eager to preach the gospel among you. Why? Because the gospel is what we need to hear every day. The gospel is not something you hear when you are saved. You know, you hear the gospel when you're saved, and, and that, that's fine. The gospel is the framework for everything. It is the framework for evangelism. It is the framework for discipleship. It is the framework for church administration. It is the framework for pastoral theology. It is the framework for everything that we do. Yes, the gospel is proclaimed so that people are saved, but the gospel is proclaimed so that we remember always who we are. When we are discouraged, we need to hear the gospel because it reminds us that Jesus is greater than our discouragement. When we fall into sin, we need to hear the gospel again that reminds us to repent and believe. Everything, everything is founded in the gospel. And so a community of faith is made up of Christians who preach the gospel to one another. So friends, when, when, when someone in our church is down, 
They don't need to hear the Dr. Phil Joe Osteen junk. They need to hear the gospel. When they're struggling with sin, you need to remind them that yes, we struggle with sin because we have fallen. We live in a fallen world. Genesis 3 is clear about that. But the grace of God is sufficient for us through Christ. That's what they need to hear. That's what we need to hear. That's what I need to hear. When we're struggling with something in life, maybe we're struggling with our finances, we need to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ. We're reminded of that through the Gospel. When your marriage is struggling, you need to be reminded of what God says in His Word about marriage, what He says about how He loves us. The way that He has given Himself for us as a husband should give Himself for His wife. What is that? It's the Gospel. We, we don't need these 12-step programs or whatever it is that you're into, whatever it is that you, you try to come back to the gospel. If you want to find a resource for marriage or finances, make sure it's rooted in the gospel. If you want to find something for raising your children, make sure it's rooted in the gospel. Because if something presents itself outside of the gospel, it is not sufficient. Root everything in the gospel. Friends, if you do not understand the gospel well, take time to learn more about the gospel so that you can encourage others with the gospel. Because, friends, if it's the only thing can, that can save you from your sin, it is most definitely sufficient for the troubles that you have in your life. We've got to be people who preach the gospel to one another. We've got to be people who preach the gospel to outsiders. I was on Facebook, and this is not any of you, and hopefully it's not anybody you know. It doesn't, not that I care that much, but there was someone that had talked about they had found a church. It's not anybody that's ever went here to my knowledge. But they had found a church that was very accepting of them, and reading through their lifestyle on Facebook, they probably had to look pretty hard. Well, they had found a church that they were going to, and this church was accepting of them as they are. And we like that expression. I've probably even said that expression. Like, we will welcome you as you are. And as I was preparing for this and thinking about this, this preaching the gospel, I realized that that's not what we want to do. Like a church that welcomes people as they are, doesn't really love people. Those are often thought of as these churches that really love people. They welcome people as they are. They, they you know, we, we love. And this is not about what you wear. I don't care what you wear to church. But, but that's the whole thing. We'll, we'll welcome you as you are. All are welcome. Now, all are welcome. But we'll welcome you as you are. And you know what? I don't think that churches that do that love people. I don't. I think churches that tell people the truth about the gospel love people because God doesn't welcome you as you are he only welcomes you through the blood of Christ correct I, mean, I know we're getting into this old 17th 18th century theology with all those old hymns but right all those hymns they talked a lot about the blood of Christ right 
something that a lot of new ones don't want to do sometimes, but, but a church that welcomes you as you are doesn't love you. A church that tells the truth about the gospel loves you. Because God welcomes people through Christ. So we need to tell each other that. Because we need to be reminded it's not all about us. It's not all about what we can do. It's not about all what we can say and what we know and what we've done. It's, it's all about Christ. So we need to be people who preach the gospel to one another and to the world. That yes, God has made us in His image. But that we have fallen into sin we need redemption. We need a Savior. And that through His grace, God has sent Christ to die in our place. He has died as our substitute. He has died to provide us forgiveness of sin. And if we submit to the work of Christ by repenting of our sin and believing the gospel, then there's an eternity with God that awaits for us. Now, we, we don't accept people the way they are because that's not what God did for me. God called me to repent and believe. And then He saved me. And now He welcomes me through the blood of Christ. Friends, that's the gospel. And we need to be truthful with people we need to be truthful with each other. We need to be truthful with people who are lost. That God has called upon them to repent and believe the gospel. And Paul says he is eager. He is eager. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Friends, does your life reflect the marks of a community of faith? Does your life, the, the way that you live, the way that you interact with other believers, does that reflect God's desire for our community of faith? You're probably not going to hit all these at one time. You're probably going to have some mess-ups and slip-ups in them. You're probably going to fall short in some of them. But, but is your goal Is your goal to build one another up, to encourage each other? Do you pray for one another? Do you, do you seek opportunities to evangelize with one another? Do you proclaim the gospel to each other? Are you thankful? Are you thankful for the people that God has called together here? I am. I miss on some others, and you guys know that. But I am thankful for you. I'm thankful because I routinely get feedback, good feedback, about our goal to proclaim the gospel, our goal to focus on the truth of God's Word. Friends, that's unique. And I'm thankful for that. But do these things mark your life? Are they priorities for you? I would encourage you, pick, pick one this week. If six is too many, pick, pick one. 
Pick one and say, say, no matter what happens this week, I'm going to seek to encourage other people in our community of faith. No matter what happens this week, I'm going to pray specifically for people in our community of faith. I'm going to go and find people who I, who I don't know if I've talked to them before. I don't maybe even know their name, but I'm going to find them and I'm going to tell them, you know, I am thankful that God has brought you to our community of faith. Would you commit yourself this week to one of those things? Would you evangelize someone this week? Would you share the gospel with someone? Would you tell them about Christ's love for them? If six is too many, would we start with one and see if God will not use it to do something great in our midst? Friends, if you're lost, you've heard the gospel this morning that you are created by God, but you have fallen into sin and you need His forgiveness, and He has offered it through Christ. And if you will submit to that, God will forgive you. He'll forgive you of your sin and He'll save you to wonderful righteousness. He'll save you to where God welcomes you freely and gladly. If you do not know Christ this morning, that is the call on you is to repent and believe. Today is the day for you to repent and believe the gospel. In a few minutes when they're singing, you can come, and I would share that with you, how you, how you can know Christ. After the service, come and find me, and I will share with you how to know Christ. But friends, most of you know Christ. Would you commit this week to working on one thing? that would mark your life to show that you belong to the community of faith. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful that you have called us together. God, we're thankful that we have a part in your kingdom. We're, we're thankful that you love us God, even when we were far from you. God, I pray for our church that we would be known as a community of faith, that it would be marked as a place, God, of love and encouragement, a place that is honest about the gospel, a place that evangelizes the lost, a place of prayer, a place of thanksgiving. God, that we would be a place that builds one another up with our giftedness. God, I pray that we would do a great work for your kingdom, not for our glory, not so that our faith would be known throughout the world, but, but God, so that you would receive honor and glory and praise for whatever we do. God, your love for us is so amazing. We do not deserve it, but we are thankful for it. God, as we have this time of invitation, Lord, the one here who does not know you this morning. God, I pray that they would come. God, let me share with them how they can know you. God, help me to have words to say to them that they would, God, just understand clearly your gospel and as your spirit speaks to their heart. God, that they would submit to your love and believe. God, be with us during this time. Lead God and direct every heart. And God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You've heard God's word this morning. I invite you to stand.
and to respond to what he has called us to do as we sing together.